How you feeling? Can y'all feel it? Man, this could be a good night. That death has no hold on you. Amen. Hey, you can take a seat, hug someone's neck on the way down. Tell him you love him. Tell them they smell good. They look good. Hey, we got some new people in the house tonight. So good to have y'all. I met I met Chris. Chris, right? Good to have you, bro. Good to have you. Oh man, I feel I feel good. I feel good. You feel good? Yeah? You like who you're sitting next to? Ish. Well, my name is Andrew Matrone. I'm one of the young adults pastors on staff. I love this church. I love what we get to do. I love you guys. I love y'all. I used to be a youth pastor. I love students, but I love y'all. You guys are a little bit weirder than youth kids, but I love you. appreciate you. Uh, this is our final night of our series, The New. Um, we had two guest speakers with it, so it kind of made our series a little funky, but uh, for the next few weeks, it's just going to be us, so if you don't like us, I'm really sorry, but it's going to be me and Connor the next few weeks, so we're going to be hanging with y'all, but we are in this series called The New, and we did this series kind of post-resurrection, uh, because our whole thought with, with that is when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are a new creation, hello, Jesus, he's back to life, amen. But you are a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. So when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're no longer bound by the old you. But in this time, it's kind of raised some questions for me as I've thought about this new life, this new relationship with Jesus Christ that so many of us walk into. But we have so many questions when this happens. And, and here's a question that I've been pondering and a question I kind of want to talk about tonight. If with a relationship with Jesus comes new life... Why do I constantly find myself stuck in seasons and circumstances I don't want to be in? If with a relationship with Jesus comes new life, why do I constantly find myself stuck in seasons and circumstances that I do not want to be in? I think that we can all find ourselves in that place. And I want to read a passage for you. And it's this man by the name of Moses who is talking to the Israelites and he shares this verse with them. They, are, they find themselves with their backs against the wall. They find themselves in a tough situation. They find themselves being stuck in a circumstance that they do not want to be in. And he says these two verses to them right here. It's Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. It says this. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Tonight I want to talk to you. The title of this message is, When Your Back's Against the Wall. When Your Back is Against the Wall. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for uh, everyone in this room. God, I thank you for the people that are in this room that are just kind of questioning uh, why they're here. Uh, frustrated with life, find themselves in a season of life that they're very dissatisfied with. Lord, I pray that uh, tonight, God, that you would affirm them being here. Lord, God, I pray that you would speak to them, challenge them, give them life tonight. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask all this in your name. And everybody says, amen, amen, amen. Question, have you ever found yourself 
stuck in a situation that you did not know how to get out of. You're like, yes, my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> you found yourself stuck in a situation that you did not want to be in. See, I've been doing a little bit more, more traveling lately, uh, just, just with different things. And, and, and I find myself, I have a lot of pet peeves when it comes to traveling. Anybody else, you have pet peeves when it comes to traveling and, and being at the airport? Uh, the airport kind of drives me nuts. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but people at the airport absolutely drive me nuts. Anybody? Come on. Anybody here? And I was thinking about what are a few pet peeves of mine at the airport? Number one is people insecurity. Okay, look, they are screaming at you from the second that you get there to take your iPad out, take your shoes off, take your belt. And no, every single time someone walks in with all their stuff, it's like, sir, take your belt. I'm like, bro, you're holding up the line. I'm trying to get to my place, my destination, but you're holding up the line. It's a pet peeve. Another pet peeve of mine is when people take their shoes off on planes when you're sitting next to them. And it's always the person like with Crocs. It's always the bro with Crocs who never showers, right? It's like, dude, put those giant, ugly rubber things back on. <laughs> One of my biggest pet peeves, though, is whenever you land, and there is a certain order when you land, and they, they bring you to the gate, but you land, and everybody gets up, and in a single file line, you are supposed to get up, and one by one, you exit. What drives me nuts is when someone from the back of the plane is like, Now, I was in Russia one time when this happened, and I didn't say nothing to those people, but when I was in America, uh, Lord. but I, I, was, I was on a flight recently, and, and, and I'm sitting there, and, and this lady, she's in the back of the plane, and she walks up, and you can already just picture the kind of lady that I'm thinking of that, that, that probably walked up, and, and, and she, she like blasts through the line, and and I, I, I'm the kind of guy who always, like, puts my foot in my mouth, and I'm like, Andrew, just shut up. Just shut up. Just shut up. And, and, and I literally, I, I said quietly, but loud enough for her to hear me, I said, there's an order to this. <laughs> With my head down, because I wasn't bold enough to face her. And she stops. And I'm like, oh, crap. She says, excuse me? And I said, uh, there's an order to this, ma'am. She said, mind your business. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and she gets stopped because I stopped her. And all of a sudden, the captain comes over the intercom and says, we're going to be taxing here for quite some time, so just get comfortable where you're at. This lady stood next to me for 30 minutes. <laughs> My life. I was stuck in a situation that I did not want to be in. There was no way out. I wanted to die. <laughs> Have you ever faced something in your life where you just feel stuck? Like you're faced with a problem or a tough circumstance and you feel like your back is just against the wall and there's nothing you can do to get out of that situation. You ever felt that? I think a lot of us can feel that sometimes in life. If you haven't, you will. Or maybe you're experiencing that night where... We'll find ourselves faced with a problem or a situation 
or a season in life where the odds seem stacked against us and the end result does not look promising. Ever been there? Maybe you're there right now where what you're facing, what you're experiencing, the end result does not seem promising. You feel like your back is against the wall. And I was thinking about it this week for Christians. Because when Christians face these types of moments, it puts Christians in a tough predicament. And here's why. It puts Christians in a tough predicament because in seasons like this, what you really believe about God is put to the test. Like when you're stuck in seasons that you don't want to be in, that you're frustrated in, where you feel like your back is against the wall, what you really believe about God and who he says he is and the promises that he offers you is really put to the test. You see, what's important for you to know is that what defines your trust in God is not the good times. That's not what defines your trust in God. What defines your level of trust in God is the seasons of obscurity, is the seasons of uncertainty, is in the times of life where you have no idea what is about to happen or go down in your life. But many Christians, we get into seasons like this and we begin to question everything. Like, God, where are you? God, I thought that you cared. God, you said that when I had a relationship with you that I would have this new life. The old is gone. The new has come. That I would have this better, this easier life. We get frustrated with God. Can I remind you, though, that when you said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to following him, when you said I give you my life and I trust you with my life, that you, yes, you signed up for a better life, but you did not sign up for an easier one. You signed up for a better life. When you say yes to Jesus, your life will be more fulfilling, more satisfying than you could ever dream of or imagine. Yes, you signed up for a better, more fulfilling life, but you did not sign up for an easier one. And that's why so many Christians walk away, walk away so frustrated because they thought when I walked away from the old and I stepped into the new that my life would all of a sudden get a little bit easier. Hate to break it to you. That's not the truth. You see, in our lives and probably multiple times in our life, we will face challenges. There will be battles that you will have to fight. There will be difficulties that you will have to overcome. But listen, these moments, if you are a believer, these moments are the moments that say a lot about who you are and a lot about what you believe and what you believe about who Jesus is. When you find yourself in these moments, how you respond says a lot about who you are, your character, your integrity, but it also says a lot about what you believe about Jesus and who you think that he is. See, you're in here tonight, and you've run into an issue in your life. You've run into a problem in your life, maybe self-inflicted. Maybe you brought it upon yourself. Maybe not self-inflicted, but it came looking for you. But you feel like your back is against the wall, and your faith has been absolutely shaken, and you don't know what to do. What do you do when your back is against the wall and the problem you're facing seems too difficult to overcome? What do you do? How do you operate? How do you engage in this life and engage in this relationship with Jesus? The two verses that I read earlier in Exodus is the encouragement from Moses, the leader of the Israelites. It's it's the encouragement from Moses to the Israelites who found themselves facing a problem where their backs were against the wall. Now, if you don't know much about the Israelites in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Israelites were children of Israel, that they were God's chosen people. 
Israelites were God's chosen people. And you see, we can already identify with it because those of you who have said yes to Jesus, the Bible says that you have been set apart, that you have been chosen, that you are a child of God. So the same promises that reign true for the Israelites reign true for you today if you have said yes to Jesus Christ or you might today. Some background to the story. The Israelites had been facing a problem for generation after generation after generation. The Bible says that for 400 years, the Israelites were enslaved and held in bondage to the Egyptians. For 400 years, they were slaves and held in bondage to the Egyptians. But since they were children of God, God, for whatever reason, decided at this point, 400 years later, I don't know why he waited that long, only he knows. But because they were children of God, God wanted to set them free, just like God wants to set you free. In a long story short, it says that God sent 10 plagues to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And after the 10th plague, Pharaoh was like, all right, I'm done. You can have your Israelites. And so in that moment, Pharaoh let 2 million Israelites go free. So in that moment, no longer held to slavery, no longer held to bondage, 400 years. And so after they were set free, God sends them on this journey to the promised land. Just like when you said yes to Jesus and God set you free from sin and God set you free from bondage, that he started you on this new journey to the life that he called you to, to this promised land that God called you to. So he sends these two million Israelites on this new journey to the promised land. But after only a few days into this new journey, this new problem arises. They had just left the Egyptians, but now they face a new problem just days later. And this problem is threatening to stop their journey. And it's this thing called the Red Sea. The Red Sea is this giant body of water that the Israelites will have to pass through or pass over somehow to continue their journey onto the promised land. They had just left one problem, but days later they run into another one. Have you ever felt this in your life before? Like you work your tail off to alleviate one issue in your life. Like you and God work really hard to move past an addiction to move past an old relationship, and you finally get past that only to run into another one. Is that not exhausting sometimes in life, that you feel like you're constantly fighting and fighting and fighting the old you, and then all of a sudden you finally move past it just to walk and step into something new, a new tough relationship, a new tough job, a new tough circumstance? This is what the Israelites were facing in this moment. But not only was the Red Sea... On one side, listen to what was coming up behind them. It says in Exodus 14, verse 5 through 9, it says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Israelites were marching out boldly, saying that was the old, we're moving into something new. We're trusting God in the season, we're moving into something new. But the Bible says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh decided to pursue the Israelites. So it says in verse 10, it says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. 
The Israelites had just left a 400-year problem, had just experienced freedom for the first time. And all of a sudden, they look up and they look back, and that same problem they faced for 400 years was chasing them back. You ever felt that before? Like you work really hard in your life to move past something? Like you finally break that? You finally move past that toxic relationship? You finally move, you finally act, you finally begin this new journey with God, and then all of a sudden, in a moment, you look back, and the same thing that you left the bondage of is bonding you again, is fighting you again, is challenging you again. The Israelites, the Red Sea on one side, the Egyptian army on the other, they are completely surrounded by their problems, surrounded by their issues, their circumstances. And so they have a very obvious response, a response that every single one of us would have, is fear. Fear entered the hearts and the minds and the souls of the Israelites. And it says in Exodus 4, 10, that they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Terrified and cried out to the Lord. And so Moses, their leader, he sees what's happening. He sees that they're terrified. He sees the Red Sea on one side. He sees the Egyptian army on the other side. And it says that he stands up in front of the two million Israelites. And it says this, Moses answered the people, don't fear, stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Moses shares three things with them that I I want you to write down. I want you to take notes on. But but these three things that he shared with them, I believe that the Lord is trying to share with you today in the midst of your circumstance and your trial. He says, don't fear, stand firm, be still. Don't fear, stand firm, be still. First one, don't fear. Moses, in the middle of this horrible situation, has this audacious statement, don't fear. And if I'm an Israelite, I'm like, yo, Moses, come here, bro. I'm going to smack you. You see see what's all around us? Are, Are you kidding me? Like, do you not see that we have an Egyptian army who is going to destroy us? And if we move, we're going to walk into a body of water and we're going to drown. Like, do you not see? What are you talking about, don't fear? That's all I should be doing is being filled with fear. Moses, open your eyes. You see, they were absolutely crippled with fear. And and I got to believe this, that fear causes us to do one of two things. Fear either cripples us or fear capacitates us. And in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our tough circumstance, when fear sets in, it either cripples us where we can't move where it halts us, where we stop, where we're filled with fear, or it capacitates us to rise up and to move out and to move into something new, right? It it cripples us or capacitates us. Fear, it's flight or fight. But they were absolutely crippled by their fear. See, when it comes to your situation, if you're being really honest with yourself, fear has absolutely crippled you. You're not a bad Christian for that. Not a bad person for that. But fear has crippled you. Can I remind you of something? Can I remind you of the promises of God? Can I remind you of the power that you have access to when you say yes to Jesus? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God does not give a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That God does not give us a spirit of fear. Here, I understand something. That fear is not of God. Fear is of the enemy. And the enemy tries to use fear to get you to look at your situation and say there is no way out. 
The enemy uses fear for you to get to look at your situation and say, this is how life is always going to be. You see, because the enemy, what he tries to do, if he can get you to fear, he can get you to panic. And if he gets you to panic, he can get you to put your eyes on your situation and take your eyes off God, which eliminates your trust in God. And so this is what happens. His whole goal is to get you to take your eyes off of God. Fear, panic, mistrust. But let me remind you that over 300 times in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible says, do not fear. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Look, you have to decide in my darkest hour, when fear comes knocking, will I let it in? Do I choose to be led by the spirit of fear or do I choose to be led by the spirit of power, which is within me, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that dwells in me? That is not a fearful spirit. That is not a scared spirit. Moses says to them, when your back is against the wall, number one, do not fear. Don't fear. The second thing Moses tells them, he says, stand firm. Stand firm. He says, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. If you have your Bible, you're taking notes, will you, will you write, you will see, underline it? These three words, you will see, is the promise from God to the children of Israel. You will see. Moses is reminding them that God has already promised them that they'll make it through. That God has already promised them that they'll experience victory. That God has already promised them that they'll experience deliverance. And so Moses tells them, because God has already promised you, stand firm. Because of what already he said, because what he has promised you, stand firm. You see, God has already promised you so much. Can I, can I tell you? Can I share with you? If you're not reading your Bible, you're missing out on what God is trying to speak to you. That God has already promised you so much. That God has promised to supply your every need. That God has promised that his grace is sufficient for you. That God has already promised that he'll work all things for the good of those who love him. That God has promised you victory over death. Read your Bible. In the end, we win. If, 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 you've, if you've lost track of what God has promised you, if you've lost track of what God says to you, go to your word and see the promises that he has, that he promises victory and deliverance in your life. Think if we face issues knowing that victory is in store for you. Like, think about it. Think if you really faced the issues in your life knowing that victory is in store for you. Like, what if I woke up in the morning and I said, I know that I have some major financial issues facing me. I, I know that I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. I don't know how I'm going to pay for student loans. I don't know how I'm going to keep this job. This job isn't good enough. Like, what if you faced that problem knowing, though, that there was still victory at the end of the tunnel? It would change your posture. It would change how you approach life. It would change how you approach your relationships and your job and your finances and the people around you. Look, when you're tempted to just give in, I challenge you to not give ground. Some of you are so wavering. And I say that because I find myself wavering more times than not. But Moses is telling them and God is telling you at some point you got to plant your feet and you got to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust to not be afraid. God, I choose to not be discouraged. God, I plant my feet and I say, I will not waver no matter what comes my way, no matter what trials I see. I choose to plant my feet and stand firm and I will not be afraid. Some of y'all, you have to speak that to yourself. And challenge that to yourself and say, you know what, in this moment, I know that I'm freaking out. I know that the odds are stacked against me, 
My back is against the wall, but I will not be afraid, and I choose to stand firm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, right? I don't know. (laughs) Feeling you all out. Standing firm is having faith in what we're standing for. Standing firm is having faith in what you're standing for. If you don't know what you're standing for, you can't stand firm. What, what, what What are you standing for? What are the promises of God that you're standing for? If you don't stand for anything, you always fall for something, right? Stand firm. The final thing Moses says to them is this, be still. He says, be still and then know the Lord will fight for you. Exodus 14, 14. It's my wife's favorite verse. Hey. She's a great worship leader, y'all. That was her on stage. She's pretty cute. Not Keisha. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Be still. Exodus 14, 14 says, be still and the Lord will fight for you. Be still and the Lord will fight for you. I can imagine them just like he said, do not be afraid. That the Israelites are like, bro, be still? Are you kidding me? Moses, come here, I'm going to slap you again. <laughs> be still? Moses, like, death is upon us. There, there, there's nothing that we can do, and you're telling us to be still? Like, we, we have a few swords. Maybe we could put some rocks in people's hands. Maybe we could gather some sticks and build a raft and float across the Red Sea. But Moses, we got to do something. Be still. And, and Moses says, yes, be still. And I believe that Moses is saying, look, be still, because the enemy that we're about to face is too big. The enemy that we're about to face, you cannot defeat on your own. Come on, can you look at your situation right now? And can you look at your life in this past season? Have you been trying to fight it on your own? Been trying to defeat it on your own? And you wonder why you keep failing? You wonder why you keep giving in? You wonder why you keep going back? Because you have chose to fight this battle on your own. You have lost sight of who wants to fight your battle for you. In these times, we have to find, when we find ourselves facing tough circumstances, we don't have to manufacture a victory. We don't have to create our own victory. We don't have to manipulate our own victory. We just have to go claim the victory that's already been claimed for us. I, I, I love football. And that was a weird transition. Football. I love football. I have a point, I promise. But my favorite formation in football, not for me because I'm a defensive guy, but my favorite formation for an offensive guy is the victory formation. Now, victory formation means that the game is pretty much already won, that the game has already been decided But the offensive team needs to go out there to kneel it, to seal it. And all that team has to do is go out there and hike the ball and kneel it to seal the victory. And I was thinking about it, that this is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That the victory has already been won. That the victory formation is already in place. That it's already been decided. The outcome of your game, the outcome of your struggle, the outcome of your eternity has already been decided. All we have to do out there is go out and claim the victory that's already been claimed for us. Your victory formation. When your back's against the wall, be still. So these are the three directives 
that Moses gives his people. What's number one? Don't be afraid. Number two, stand firm. Number three, be still. But then God speaks to Moses. In Exodus 14, 15, he gives a directive to Moses to tell the people. He says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Look, there comes a point in our circumstances where it's time to stop only praying and time to start doing. There comes a point, and yes, there are moments where we have to be still. There are moments where we have to just stand firm. But sometimes at some point, there is a moment for us to, to move on, to stop just praying for deliverance and start walking towards deliverance. But so many times, we just want to sit there and pray and pray and pray. But at some point, God is saying, look, it's time for you to claim your victory. It's time to start moving towards your destiny. Maybe for you, moving is a spiritual step. Moving is a spiritual step of you choosing to trust, you choosing to give God control. Maybe for you, moving on is a physical step, choosing to forgive someone, choosing to get help for your issue, choosing to leave that toxic relationship, choosing to delete that app from your phone. Sometimes God is calling us to move on and take steps toward the calling that he has for our life. Look, at some point, God will call you to move on. Understand when God calls you to move on, it'll be in the direction to change your destiny. When God calls you to move on, it'll be in the direction to help you move forward. It'll be there to help you bring you closer to God and closer to your promised land. I say this all the time. I'll probably say a lot more. But in order to get God-like results, sometimes you have to take God-like steps. And I think a lot of us, we're not willing to take the kind of steps, the God-like steps that he's calling us to. But in order to receive and experience the blessing, the fulfillment that he desires for us, sometimes it takes us moving in to what he's called us to. I think this is my favorite part. I'll be done in a few moments. If you're bored of me, I'm sorry. I'm trying to yell at you a lot. The louder I yell, the more important it seems. <laughs> Listen to what happened when the Israelites chose to move on. Because I think a lot of us are like, okay, if I, if I choose to, to move into something new, if I choose to really walk away from the old and step into this new creation that I've been called to, like what, what's going to happen? Exodus 14, 19, 20, this is what happened when they, when they moved, when God called them to move. It says, and the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. When the Israelites obeyed God and began to move, the angel of God who had been guiding them now withdrew to go behind them to stand in the gap between them and their circumstance. They moved forward, and the angel of God that had been guiding them on their path moved behind them and literally stood in the gap between them and their problem, them and their issue. I don't know where you're at right now, but you have to know something. When you choose to move when God calls you to move, when you choose to trust when God calls you to trust, when you choose to give up control when God calls you to give up control, 
When you choose to be obedient, when God calls you to be obedient, he will stand in the gap between you and your circumstance. It does not mean that your problem is gone. But when we choose to move, when God calls us to move, when we choose to trust, when God calls us to trust, what it does is it creates space now for God to move. When I step out and I trust God, I'm creating now a gap between me and my problem for God to come in and work. And I think so many of us, we, we refuse to move and we're so focused and fixated on the, on the issue that's at hand that we leave no room for the Holy Spirit to move. We leave no room for the Holy Spirit to act, to speak, to teach, to guide, to convict, to comfort. We leave no room. When we choose to trust, we create space, a gap between our enemy, which then allows God to fulfill and satisfy and move in a way that maybe you didn't know that he could or that he would or wanted to. Just like the Israelites, when we choose to move, we go from feeling surrounded by our problem to being surrounded by the peace of God in the midst of our problem. Your problem probably won't go away in the time that you want it to. But when we choose to trust and move, we go from feeling this constant surrounding by our problem to being surrounded by the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Ben, you can come on up. So in, in, in case you were wondering what happens with this story, maybe you don't know. It says that the Israelites begin to move and they begin to move towards the Red Sea. This new problem, they begin to walk towards this new life in this promised land, but the Red Sea is still there. And it says that God calls Moses to hold up his staff. And when he holds it up, it says that the Red Sea begins to part. The Red Sea parts and it says that the Israelites, the two million Israelites, began to walk on dry ground through the Red Sea. That was still scary, though. Right, the Egyptian army was still chasing them. There was still a body of water on each side of them, but they still chose to walk through. They walked through on dry ground, and it says that God calls Moses to lower his staff, and when he does that, it says that the waters completely engulf the Egyptian army and defeat the enemy. God delivers them in that moment, and it says when they get to the other side, it says that they worshiped. They worshiped. I was, I was thinking about this, this whole thought, and I, I love this story because this story is really, really speaks to, to me and my life, and I think I've shared a little bit, um, but I'll, I'll never stop sharing my testimony, what God has done in my life in the past couple of years. Like, I, I just want to scream it from the mountaintops because, man, I, I, was, I was headed down a, a dark, scary path, and God revived me. Um, and I'm standing on the stage because God revived me. And so I'll be darned if I let the enemy. <laughs> I've let the enemy take what he tried to use to destroy me and keep it for myself. Um, man, I was in a, in a bad way a couple years ago, just filled with sin, filled with insecurity, filled with a lot of things that were self-inflicted but but not and um and I, and I came across this story and I was reading it a lot and I, and I felt like I just I kept on having these these moments with God where 
I was so fearful. I was so fearful of the season of life that I was in. I was so fearful that I was going to lose everything. Because I thought that I was. Like, I, man, I thought that I was going to lose everything. And I was close. I was in a bad, bad spot, even as a pastor, okay? As pastors are just as jacked up, okay? Um, but I want to be honest with you guys. But I, I was in a tough place, and, and I was so filled with fear. I had nothing to stand on. But I just remember just week after week, I kept going back to this counselor, kept going back to this counselor. And I just started learning just the rhythms of God's grace and the rhythms of grace and just allowing myself to, in these dark moments, these moments where I was so insecure, these moments where I was so broken and so lost and so filled with fear, just learning how to just be still. I'm, I'm, I'm a fixer. I'm an achiever. I like to lead. I like to move. I like to fight. I, I love those things. But learning in my life that I could not manipulate or manufacture or create my victory anymore, that everything had been stripped from me. I had nothing else to offer, nothing else to give, except in a season of life to just be still. Just be still. And just let the rhythms of grace saturate my heart and my soul. And I called a friend who was a mentor of mine, and and I, I, I was talking to him, and I was like, man, I just want God to deliver me. I, just, I can't take this. I'm exhausted. I can't take this anymore. Like, I, I hate this version of myself. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just in a tough spot. Like, all I want is God to just deliver me. I remember sitting on my hands and knees in my office or, or in an auditorium like this and just pleading with God to deliver me from my situation. And I called a friend, and, and he said something that he had spoke to me years and years ago. He said, look, Andrew, I've said this once to you before when you were a lost 21-year-old in college, and I'm going to say it to you again when you're a, a lost 29-year-old. <laughs> he said, stop praying for deliverance and start praying for revelation. Stop praying for deliverance and start praying for revelation. Because God, for whatever reason right now, is choosing not to deliver me. But he has me in this season because he's trying to reveal to me. That God was trying to reveal to me things about myself. Character issues. Integrity issues. My lack of trust. My lack of control. And he was trying to reveal to me things about myself that I was not willing to hear for 29 years of my life. But I was in such a tough, crappy spot where I had nowhere else to do but listen. I had to listen. And he said, not only in those seasons does God reveal stuff about yourself, but he reveals stuff about him. He reveals stuff about himself and who he is and his character and his love and his grace and his Holy Spirit that he desires for us. What's crazy about this story, and I think what was hard for me to reconcile with God, I was really angry at God. I was, I was angry at God. I yelled at God. I screamed at God. I was frustrated with God. I fought with God. I wrestled with God. But what's crazy as I read this story is that God sent them down this path. Like it says just a few verses before that. It says that God, that there was another way for them to go. That there was a shorter way for them to go. But for some reason, God sent them down this path where he knew that they would face adversity. He 
chose to send them that way towards the Red Sea. Why does God allow this stuff to happen? To punish us? Is God trying to punish you? Trying to punish you for not living the perfect life? I, I don't think so. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the setting, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works so that you may be matured and complete, not lacking anything. Can I say this to you one more time if you find yourself in this place? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's trying to do something in your heart. God's trying to do something in your soul. God's trying to develop something in you that will not be developed in the perfect life. That God is trying to build your story. God is trying to build your testimony. God is trying to build you to a place where you can be effective for the kingdom of God. Because your relationship with God is not about this room. Your relationship with God is about your school. Your relationship with God is about your work. Your relationship with God is about your college, your friends, the people you surround yourself with. God is trying to develop something in you so powerful, so strong, that can be effective for the kingdom of God. Look, God knows that in tough times is where he can strengthen you. In tough times is where he deepens you. In tough times is where he teaches you. In this tough time, he is trying to build your faith. He's trying to build your perseverance. He's trying to build something in you that will not be built walking through life perfectly. Come on, can you give Jesus a clap of praise? Listen, you can stand to your feet. This life is not easy. This life sucks sometimes, amen? Come on. But from day one, with Adam and Eve, day seven, Six. He has allowed his people to go through tough times. Every single person who has said yes to Jesus has struggled, has sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You sit in here today and you say, I'm not good enough for God. Please. If God created you, you have breath left in you, he has a purpose and a plan for your life. Every single one of us is jacked up, is messed up, is in dire need of a Savior. I was 21 or 29, and I hated myself. I hated my life. I was so stuck in sin, and I was in desperate need of a Savior. But sometimes God lets us go through these things and get to these places so we become so dependent on Him. Look, some of you are holding on to life so hard right now. But this amazing woman, ever heard of Tori, Corey Ten Boom? Yeah in the concentration camps. And she said that the harder you hold on to things in your life, the more it hurts when God pries your fingers open. That God's goal in your life is to get to this. God, I'm struggling. God, I'm hurting. But God, I go palms up. I go eyes up. God, I trust you. God, I, I choose that. I know that this Red Sea seems like a big problem, but I choose that as I step, you step. I, I, I choose that as I move, you move, and that you'll begin to part my Red Seas, and I'll be able to walk right through it because I'm a child of God, because I am chosen, because I've been set apart, because you love me, you see me, you desire me, and you want what's best for me. I don't know where you find yourself today. 
Maybe this didn't hit you at all. That's fine. But you're sitting here today, you say, man, absolutely. And you know what? You could be at any stage in this process. You could be at the stage right now where all you need to do is just choose not to fear. Maybe you're in the stage where all you need to do is just choose to stand firm. Draw a line in the sand. Because if you don't draw a line for yourself, someone else will draw it for you. Choose to stand firm. Maybe for you, choose to be still. Maybe for you, it's choose to move on. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for everyone in this room. God, I thank you for your promises, God, that, that reign true. With heads bowed and eyes closed, two questions. The first question is this. You're in here and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you find yourself in this place where God is calling you to let go of control and trust you in the midst of this trial and circumstance. If that's you, would you raise your hand all across this place? Wow. Amen. 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 Praise Jesus. You can put your hands down. Second question is this. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you're saying, you know what? That's what I want. I've been looking for a lot of things. I've been going from relationship to relationship, substance to substance, person to person, job to job, looking for fulfilling satisfaction in this life, but I have not found it in this world, but I came here tonight, and I think this is what I've been looking for. You're in here tonight. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you would like to start one. If that's you in here, would you slip up your hand all across this place? Amen. 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 Praise Jesus. If that's you and you raise your hand, just in your own words, begin to talk to God for the first time. Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you want to put your faith and your trust in him. Jesus, we love you. God, we choose to worship you with all that we have. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship him.